Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is the NBC journalist Craig Melvin. On the Today Show, he serves double duty as the news anchor as well as a co-host for the third hour. He is also an anchor on MSNBC Live. We discuss 2020, which for news has been an epic year. Craig also opens up about how he copes when covering tragic news events, and we bond over our South Carolina roots. I should note that this interview was recorded at the end of September. All right, so Craig, I am so excited to talk with you. And right off the bat, I have to acknowledge that I was born in Columbia, South Carolina. I grew up in South Carolina. Also, I grew up in New Orleans, so that, but I know that you attended Wilford College in Spartanburg, which is not too far from my dad and brother live. And I guess the first question is a personal question is, what does South Carolina mean to you now? It, you know, South Carolina has always been my happy place. Um, I left at 28 uh, to pursue, you know, dreams in the big city. I left uh, Columbia for uh, Washington, D.C. in 2011. Met my wife there. I worked at the NBC a station there, then the network, and we moved to outside New York in uh, in 2011. So from 2008 to 2011, I was in Washington. But prior to that, I I didn't I didn't I grew up in Columbia, went to Columbia High School, then I went to Wofford, and I did a story a number of years ago when I was in Washington, and it's one of those things where you trace your your ancestry, you go back and you dig up your roots and. Mm-hmm. Um, they discovered that I was seventh generation uh, South Carolinian, and wow. my people haven't left a a, a forty mile radius uh, <laughs> in, in that seventh generation. It's a true story. And even now, I have one cousin who lives on the south side of Chicago, but beyond that, all my family's there. You know, up until this year, we would spend a week at Hilton Head, and. Mm-hmm. Um, get a big house on the beach and all the cousins and all the brothers, they just, you know, run around and eat too much and drink too much and talk too loud. And uh, this is the first year we haven't been able to do that um, in, a, in a number of years. But South Carolina is, it's, it's, it's my happy place. I, I tell people all the time, I live in Connecticut. I, I lived in Washington, but I'm from South Carolina. <laughs> and I mean, uh, do you take that pride in in the work you do as well? Because I mean, today's show is not. I mean, we think of it as a national audience, but it's obviously, it's, people are seeing that all over the place. You know, it's it's funny because I think on a number of levels, where you're from, it doesn't just shape and mold who you are. But for journalists, it informs our reporting, how certain stories are told, or the the kinds of stories. That are that are told. Period. Uh, you know, people talk sometimes about bias in the media, and it does exist. Uh, I'm, I'm not Pollyanna enough to think that, that you know journalists don't bring their their own biases to certain stories. But I've always maintained that the geographic bias is is just as real as uh, some of the other biases that that aren't discussed as often. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a proud Southerner. I've, I've always wanted. On, on my sleeve as I'm having this conversation with you in my basement, sitting on my beanbag. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm under a quilt from Wofford College. I've got a, a coaster here on my coffee table that's uh, a coaster of the 
of the palmetto tree and the crescent moon, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the state flag of South Carolina. So, yeah, I, um, although my wife, my wife occasionally, she, she contends that um, I, I can take it a little too far. She, um, she grew up in Virginia, and when we got married, early on we were talking about, you know, family vacation spots. And, and Patrick, she, she suggested at one point going to some, some beach in North Carolina. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, have you not been to South Carolina beaches? Like, why would you suggest such an asinine thing? I mean, it really early on in our marriage almost became grounds for divorce. Like you, well, I'm surprised you guys are married. And I do think she would miss out on South of the Border, which you have to do. Um, at least once. Um, I'll ask you one more, well, for now, one more South Carolina question. And I get this a lot because, like, oh, you don't sound like you're from South Carolina. And I heard a little bit come out when you said aunts. But uh, what does that accent mean to you and where did yours go? I didn't have – I've never had a really thick accent, which I, I guess professionally has served me well um, because in, in broadcasting, they like for their broadcast journalists to have uh, neutral dialects. Um, and you know, mine's always been fairly neutral, although when I go home after a couple of days, the y'all start back and I tend to, to, to talk a lot slower when I'm around friends and family. Um, but I, I do think some of it has to do with this is going to make me sound like quite the quite the dork. But when I was in high school, I participated in oratorical contests. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with these things, but yes. But my mother uh, encouraged me to participate in them because, well, quite honestly, um, a lot of scholarship money was available, and no one in their right mind would ever compete in an oratorical contest for scholarship money. So it became for me a way to help put myself through school. So I, I participated in the American Legion oratorical contest, the Elks Lodge, the Optimist Club. So I would have to um, uh, prepare these speeches and commit them to memory and then recite the speeches. And I, I do think during, during the course of that, uh, that, that kind of helped me with the accent because some of my, my speech coaches back then would say, oh, you know, you might want to work on this. Oh, you might want to work on that. That being said, occasionally at the Today Show, I will, you know, I'll, I'll be reading a story or reading a tease to a story. And one of our executive producers, a guy named Tom Mazzarelli, Tom Mazzarelli, he'll get in my ear and he'll say, all right, dude, I need a Connecticut read, not a South Carolina read. <laughs> he needs me to pick up the pace so we can hit our our commercial break in time. Well, uh, I want to switch to something maybe a little more heavy than South Carolina, which um, I want to talk about the Today Show. But specifically, you have so many different responsibilities. You do interviews. You're an anchor. You're a news anchor. You also host segments on MSNBC. And I'm curious, out of all those different uh, responsibilities, which ones do you particularly relish? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's it's like asking which one's your favorite child. I, I am, am one of the most fortunate in, in the industry right now, because I do get, to your point, I get to do a, a cable news show every day from 11 to 12 Eastern. Uh, I get to do the Today Show every morning. And then the third hour of today after that, 
So I, I get to exercise all parts of my brain. I studied government at Wofford, and I, I spent a month or so working on the Hill um, for a senator from South Carolina, actually, many years ago named Fritz Hollings. So I, I've always enjoyed uh, politics. Now, I, I would say perhaps over the last six years or so, it can be a little much. So I, when, I'm, when I'm sick of covering politics, I can do a celebrity interview. Or, for instance, on Friday, we went to Pittsburgh and, and managed to surprise uh, an entire high school and the middle school with laptop computers and a, a free year of internet access to try and help bridge the digital divide that's become so apparent over the last six months. So I, I, I get to do so many different things. I get to play on, on so many different uh, uh, playgrounds. It's it's hard to say which one's my favorite. I mean, there, there are certain days where all three are my favorite, and there are other days where it'd be nice to to just be able to focus on one. But um, does that make sense? No, it does, because I would say you, uh, looking at your background, and I mean, just seeing before I knew I was going to interview, just knowing some of the stories I've seen to report or just the Today Show, but during your time as a journalist, you've covered a lot of different intense stories, like the, the Charleston church shooting in 2015, the um, shooting of Michael Brown, the death of Freddie Gray, and more recently this summer, the death of George Floyd. And I'm curious, um, maybe even stepping away from your roles at Today's Show and MSNBC, how do you balance processing for yourself what's occurred as well as report on it? And it's it's interesting you would mention that group of stories because those are the kinds of stories, the mass shootings, and and not just mass shootings, but over the last few years, especially these men and in some cases women who die in police custody. But the mass shootings especially, I, I thought I had been doing a really good job of separating church and state. And by that, I mean, I, I could leave the work at the office for the most part. Uh, and even now, I'd like to think I'd do a pretty good job with it. And it's paramount for me to do it. And now because I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old, but my wife and I, I'll never forget it. I had just been um, out in, in, in the rain at Sandy Hook Elementary and had spent a couple of days there covering that story and hadn't really talked about it a whole lot. And, and we were, my wife Lindsay and I, we were taking a train ride to Washington for something a week or two after that. And a song came on, on the train, uh, and I just lost it and, and wept uncontrollably um, for a while on the train because I had not uh, done a, an adequate job of making sure that I was okay. And after that, I started making more of a concerted effort. You know, I'm, I'm full disclosure with you, I, I talked to a therapist, I talked to friends, I talked to my wife about the heaviness of some of the stories that we cover. I, you know, I when I was in Charleston, it it was it was very difficult for me because I'd been in that church. Um, mm. I had interviewed the pastor of that church when I covered politics in South Carolina. I knew uh, the state senator who was who was massacred at Mother Emanuel in that basement that night. I I got to a point where I stopped trying to control all of my emotions. Um, and it was, it was at the advice of, of someone who said, when you start to cover some of the things that we cover and they don't affect you, 
in a visceral way, you should probably look at another line of work. Because the, the stories, they, they, they should touch you. And, and so if you, if for me, if, if, if you go to Orlando or, or Las Vegas or Ohio and, and, and you're, you're talking to family members who, you know, said goodbye to their son or daughter or their husband or wife that morning, and they didn't come home that night through no fault of their own, but they were mowed down at, a, at an outdoor concert or at a, a nightclub or at school. If that doesn't touch you, not as a, a father or a journalist, but as a human being, then something's wrong. So, you know, I've, I've um, over the years probably gotten choked up more on, on television than I would care to admit. But it's, it's because the things that affect you, those same things affect other people that are listening and watching. So, yeah, I, it's a, I, I, don't, I don't probably do a great job of, of balancing it. But, you know, I, I think that's also probably part of what makes me the kind of journalist that I'm proud to be. But I uh, would also, I'd say too, oh, so many things to say, but the, the two that popped to mind is one, I think that also speaks that you try to do that at least, right? Uh, it also shows you how intense some of these things are and how even today, just mentioning some of these names five, six, seven years later, they it still has, it just pokes you in the gut for for me at least. And um, question, going back to the, the story you had about the train, do you remember what song it was that that, that triggered that for you? It was um, it was Hallelujah. If you'll recall, in the days after uh, what happened um, at Sandy Hook, the the Voice uh, did a tribute, um, and the judges at the time and the contestants in tribute they sang that song, and that um, that's that's what triggered it. And to this day, when I hear the song, um, I go back to that place. I was going to say, Craig, I'm getting like literally goosebumps on my back hearing you talk about this. Um, I, I would also ask, so 2020, ah, boy, what a year, right? Uh, but I would say specifically, there's a couple of big, huge stories I want to talk about. But one is kind of like me the flip side to some of this. If there is positive uh, change coming out of these horrible situations, like the protests against police brutality or the support for Black Lives Matter in the wake of the death of, of George Floyd. I, and I'm wondering, what does it mean to you to be an anchor on one of the largest TV networks in the world and be witness to this change? It, it's, it has been, for me, from a professional standpoint, um, the most dynamic year of my career. You know, I've been on the front lines, as you mentioned, uh, the front lines of a lot of these stories. I was in Houston, I was in Minneapolis, I was in D.C. for the protests. And um, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think this is the beginning of, of something. I'm not sure what that is. It feels like we've lurched from one, you know, once in a generation story to the next. I mean, I, someone, we, I was talking uh, to a buddy of mine last week about Kobe Bryant's death. People forget that Kobe Bryant died in February. That seems yeah, like I, years ago now. No, I, I was really talking about this last night um, with someone and it's just like, that happened. That happened at the beginning of the year. Right. I was, you know, I was out there in LA and I remember thinking, my God, if this is a sign of, of what the year is going to be like, we're in for little did we know. You know, what, what, one of the things that, that's, that's happened is obviously more than 200,000 Americans are dying as a result of, of the coronavirus. By the way, it was just reported a few hours ago. The disease itself, uh, the virus itself, rather, is on track to be the third 
uh, leading cause of death in this country this year behind only cancer and heart disease. So, so there's this global pandemic, which leads to uh, what, what you could almost describe as an economic collapse. Um, and you've got more than 40 million people looking for work. And then, oh, by the way, the wildfires that have ravaged this, uh, the size of New Jersey out west, more named hurricanes this year than uh, any year in, in recent memory. I mean, we're now on Tropical Storm Beta because they run out of the National Hurricane Center. They've run out of names to, to name hurricanes. So all of this is, is happening at the same time. And then the death of George Floyd, which, which sparks a, a social justice movement unlike uh, anything that I've seen. And I, I, I remember vividly being in, in, in Washington on a Sunday covering the, uh, the protests, and I called my wife. And I've, I've been, over the years, unfortunately, uh, I've covered a lot of protests and a lot of people who march after someone's been um, shot and killed, either by police or, or someone else, and, and folks don't feel like justice has been served. And, and I called Lindsay and I said, you know, this is different. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, most of the people who are, are walking around with their masks on, screaming Black Lives Matter at the top of their lungs, they don't look like me. And I would, I would go, I, you know, they're in Washington and Minneapolis and Houston, and you see the people who are chanting uh, for, for equal justice under the law, and, and it really does give you hope. It gives you hope. It, it's, it's for the first time, it wasn't a black cause. It, it, it became a cause for humanity. And it led to, and is still leading to, uh, swift changes, uh, measurable changes. Uh, but I think the lasting legacy is going to be an entire generation, and the word's been uh, perverted a certain, a certain amount now, but an entire generation of folks have become woke, if you will. Uh, people that just really didn't care about a whole heck of a lot other than you know making some money and taking care of their family you got a you got a whole new generation of people that aren't just using clever hashtags they're showing up they they're they're marching they're chanting they're registering people to vote they're, i mean this this activism um i i don't think that we are first of all i don't think we've seen the last of it and i don't think we we're fully going to appreciate what this activism is going to mean uh, for a few more years. That's, then that's, that should be heartening to everyone, regardless of, of your, your politics. Seeing so many people getting excited and involved about the times in which we live. And in a pandemic, during a pandemic, that's the, that's the thing I just think it blows my mind is all of this is happening during a pandemic. A, a pandemic that, uh, you know, unfortunately, as it as it cools down um, and folks aren't going to be able to, to be outside as much, uh, there's some real worries that um, that that the the worst may not be behind us, and that's frightening. That's you know one thing about the pandemic that does I think, and it, it, it highlights how far we've devolved in, in some ways. Um, and I've seen this and I've heard this from friends of mine who've said. Well, you know, the, the, the coronavirus, it's a, it's a hoax. It's, it's not that bad. And the only people that are, are getting sick and, and, and they're dying are the elderly. And you guys are inflating the numbers. And, 
you know, that's that, that highlights uh, what unfortunately I think is going to be one of the lasting problems of of of, of our time. This idea that people uh, have siloed themselves in such a way they not only cut themselves off from facts, they surround themselves by other like-minded people uh, who have convinced themselves of, 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 of myriad alternate realities. That's, and that's troubling. And it manifests itself, it manifests itself in, in, in a variety of ways. But the fact that we are at a point where we can't even agree on a baseline of facts. And I'm not talking politics here. I'm just, I'm talking matters of public health. But when the, when the book is written uh, generations from now on the, the death of democracy, there'll be more than a few chapters devoted to, to the role that social media has played. So the next question is uh, the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And Craig, what are you currently obsessed with? I'm obsessed with bourbon. I have been for a, a, a number of years now, but perhaps during the pandemic, uh, my obsession has grown deeper. As I'm, as I'm having this conversation with you, uh, I'm looking up at, at, in my basement at my, at my bar, uh, where I keep uh, about uh, 20 of my favorite bourbons. Um, and occasionally I'll come down at night once the kids are down and I'll, I'll have my, my, myself just a, a private little, a little tasting. Um, so bourbon's an obsession. I love the flavor of it. I've done a number of, of stories on it. When I was in, it was when I was at Walford, I would take a good bourbon and I'd, I'd mix it with ginger ale or, or whiskey sour mix. And now my 41 year old self looks back ashamed at what I was doing. <laughs> that sacred brown liquor. Um, so that's that's one obsession. My other obsession. But maybe about a year or two ago, someone introduced the concept of mindfulness uh, to me. And I have found, especially in the times in which we currently find ourselves, I have found uh, mindfulness uh, to be a lifesaver. I, you know, like a lot of folks, occasionally I find myself getting anxious about certain things or worried about certain things. And um, the app... Um, helps you navigate your feelings and your emotions, and you realize that after after a few rounds of it, you're like, "Oh, wait a minute! Everyone else deals with this these same feelings and emotions. I just need to learn how to breathe and channel the angst and take a step back and try and live in this particular moment and not worry about the next moment or the moment after that." Or even worse, not worry about what happened yesterday or what I did yesterday or last year. Um, I have found it to be the most cathartic thing I have discovered since I discovered bourbon, Patrick. Just out of the sake of time, I want to try to do three things real fast. And the first one is on the third hour of the Today Show. There's four of you, Al Roker, Jill Jones, Dylan Dreyer. And these are some boy band questions that might apply. But I'm wondering, who, which one's the funniest? Which one's the smartest? And who's the troublemaker? Uh, Roker is hands down the funniest. 
<laughs> um, and I, I would also contend that Rooker's the smartest. But part of that, Patrick, is because he's been around so long. I think, like, you know, Rooker's picked up a lot of uh, nuggets of wisdom over the years. Um, and he's also become very much like a, a big brother uh, and a father figure on the show. But his wit, it is, like, it's sick. And I've, I've worked with some quick-witted people before. But Roker, Roker, he may actually be on the spectrum. And <laughs> it, 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 it really is next level. Like, you'll say something, and boom, it's like he's quoting a movie from 1981, and it takes you two minutes to remember, oh, that's right, that was from Jaws 2. God, how did I forget that? Obscure reference. <laughs> um, so I'd say he's the smartest, and and he's uh, the the funniest. I would also say he's the biggest troublemaker because, case in point, this morning, here's a, a prime example. We did a segment um, on the Emmys, and we were talking about a show that, that I love. It's my favorite show last year called Shit's Creek. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, bad Michelle. You, you can say it once, and then after that, you're supposed to refer to it as S. Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, the FCC doesn't like for us to say it over and over. There's our broker. He wants to say nine times, and and we're all we're all there like, oh my god, he can get away with it. You know, I say something like that, I'm suspended for a week or two, and I I tell Roker all the time. I said, you know what, buddy, I, I get where you are in your career. I need this job. <laughs> I have small children. I need to work for more years. Oh, so he's, he's just saying Shit's Creek like all all the time as opposed to S Creek. Oh yeah. Oh, and he got the biggest kick out of it. He got the biggest kick out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really not hurting anybody, right? No. It's not working. Okay, so um, I have a thing called pick one. I give you a couple topics. You pick one. doesn't mean one is better than the other. And the first one, it actually, it actually might be. No, it's the second hardest one on the list, but I, I don't know why I'm leaning with this one. North Carolina barbecue or South Carolina barbecue? Is that a trick question? Well... Some people answer this wrong. I think you're going to answer it right, Craig, correct? <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's, first of all, there's no such thing as North Carolina barbecue. I, and I would, I would, take it a, I would take, actually take it a step uh, further. I, and I've, I've made this argument before, and I usually catch a lot of flat. Uh, folks who are familiar with history, it's, it's in, indisputable. South Carolina was the original Carolina. Mm-hmm. North Carolina was essentially was born from the rib of, of South Carolina. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have frequently referred to North Carolina as South Carolina's hat. So when you say North Carolina barbecue, I don't even know what you're talking about. There's only one barbecue. It's South Carolina barbecue. Well, let me, um, I'll, I'll get specific here because again, this is actually a popular pick one question on this podcast for some reason. Vinegar-based barbecue or oh. mustard-based barbecue? Okay, well now that, that's a different question. <laughs> That's a different question. I, 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 vinegar-based is the answer to that question. The problem with mustard-based barbecue, oftentimes, is that the people who are um, uh, saucing the, 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 the barbecue they take it too far. Mustard can easy, easily take over the flavor of something. I, I agree. I do agree with that. And I've had a lot of uh, maybe another way of saying it, I've had a lot of bad mustard-based barbecue experiences. But then the pinnacle of mustard-based barbecue experiences is still uh, just something that is amazing when it's perfect. But I think we found common ground here. I, I think we have. Well, yeah. and we have to because we're, we're both from South Carolina. So 
<laughs> okay, uh, which of these two movies? Um, maybe this is a little bit of an answer uh, for for press movies for a good journalism movie. Which one do you think is more applicable? All the President's Men or Anchorman? <laughs> um, that's a good one. The big J journalist in me would say all the president's men. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig Melvin, private citizen, would take scotch. I love scotch. You know what? Anchorman is actually one of my, it's, it's one of my like go-to favorites. And even before I became an anchorman, I, well, I guess it couldn't be before, but I think even if I didn't do what I did, I would find the humor in in so much of that film, especially being on the inside, like like the like the street gang fight. I mean, it's but like people who you know work for public broadcasting. That some of those lines that they utter in that scene are lines that I hear from my my friends who work in the public broadcasting sector. <laughs> who take great pride in their in their work and could care less whether people are actually watching or listening. If you if you had to pick one, Columbia, South Carolina, Washington D.C., or Connecticut, which would you pick? Am I living here, or am I? You 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 talk it out. Well, I mean, I, I my my plan is to retire to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Washington, I you know I met my wife there. I love I love Washington. Connecticut's fine in the spring and summer. Winters here are brutal. Give me give me Columbia. Give me Columbia. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, um, that's that's it. It's yep. It's Columbia. I think you're right about that. Um, and then the last the last thing I want to say, I just want to acknowledge that this interview, um, and I, actually I think the interview is going to be wonderfully timed, but it will run the day after the election. And I know we can't like predict what's going to happen or who's going to win, but I, I'm wondering as we're 43 days out from the election, how do you view that in the context of everything going on right now? I, I think that the election. Um, and the subsequent days and weeks, I think that um, it's going to be peak 2020. I mean, would you expect anything less than drama in, uh, in, in this election in 2020? I want to thank Craig for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. The Today Show, as if you need a reminder, airs mornings on NBC. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.